0: to say today is that if your newsroom is wrong, the makeup of your newsroom is wrong, then your news will never be right. And Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, you know, very interested to speak to such an illustrious group of people and such a diverse group of people, and I will be very keen to hear about your experiences in your own country My key message to you today is that if you want a successful newsroom, it has to be representative of the diversity of your population in terms of gender, sexuality, disability and ethnicity. And if you yourselves are not representative of your audience or your readers, then you can't understand and represent their interests properly. And as society changes, if you don't change, you will lose your viewers, listeners, and readers. First, I'll tell you a little bit about myself and Channel 4 Television, because Channel 4 is an unusual sort of entity. Um, I, after university, I taught in Northern Nigeria, and then I worked on local papers before going to ITV, where I worked for a number of years on investigative programs, particularly World in Action and then I came to Channel 4 first as the commissioning editor of the investigative strand dispatches and now I have overall responsibility for all news and current affairs including Channel 4 news unreported world dispatches and then particular special programs like the investigation into the serial pedophile Michael Jackson leaving Neverland Channel 4 is a public service corporation, which is ultimately owned by the British people via a government department, which not many people realise. It was set up in 1982 by Margaret Thatcher's Conservative government, although I think since then it's done a number of programmes Margaret Thatcher would not necessarily have liked. Um, However, we are, unlike the BBC, funded by adverts. So most British people don't know that they own us and that has some advantages because whereas people are forever complaining to the BBC because they pay the license fee for them, since they don't realise they own us and we don't cost them anything, they don't complain to us nearly so much. Although we do get complaints every day, but we don't deal with them as stupidly as the bbc dealt with a single complaint about naga manchetti and her colleague which must be one of the most spectacular failures of how to deal with a not very good complaint that i've come across Uh, our program budget is much less than that of the bbc but we win most of the main awards because we're better Um, and that's just a fact um our main channel has a budget of about 550 million pounds and i think in some ways the reason we're better is we're not huge we don't have lots of apparatchiks you know in our little department there's me three other commissioning editors and two assistants and um therefore Mm -hmm. um you know we were just saying the bbc has this, this Department editorial policy. Well, we don't have anything like that. You know, I just say to people, make the programme and get it right yourself. Um, and, and I never meet lobbyists. The BBC are forever meeting lobbyists because I say I have no time to meet you. Thank you very much. There's only me and I have to crack on. Um, now, under the terms um, under which we were set up, we are not actually allowed to make any programmes ourselves. Even Channel 4 News is made by an independent company, ITN. But obviously, as commissioning editors, we are overseeing and determining the overall content. When we were set up, the UK had two BBC channels at that point and the commercial independent channel, ITV. They all made their programmes in-house, so the arrival of Channel 4 had a dramatic effect. Quite a number of people working for broadcasters, left them and set up independent companies. And then other people came into the market. And that has created a massive industry in the UK, now worth billions, which um, some of you may have noticed a couple of weeks ago, um, film and TV is one of the most vibrant sectors in the economy. And I'm very proud of the role that Channel 4 um, has played and plays in that. Now, ITV and BBC also buy a proportion of their programmes. And a key reason that it's good is that each of those small independent production companies is made up of different sorts of people with different sorts of views. And that's one reason our programmes are successful, because there's not one great big bureaucracy making all the programmes and deciding, you know, the way to see things. Every now and then I read that the BBC is having a meeting to decide what it thinks about something, you know, a bit the way it must have happened in the Soviet Union. Whereas, you know, if you think in a different way to the way I think, so long as you're duly impartial, <clears throat> and true, accurate and fair, let's, let, let's watch your programme. Now, we were set up with a special remit to provide programmes for minority groups. As you will know, because you're in the heart of it, um, the UK is a class-ridden society, and broadcasting industry, like British politics, was dominated uh, by white middle-class men men especially those who went to Oxford and Cambridge and I was the first person to work in the news and current affairs department at Channel 4 who had not been to Oxford or Cambridge wow I mean that is just incredible I I went to Manchester University so they were really roughing it when they took me but we were the you know historically these are overwhelmingly white institutions. And Channel 4 was supposed to break the mould. When the channel began, its current affairs strand was produced by an all-female group, uh, all-female journalists. And, um, oh, I've lost a page here, never mind. And um, also, the, it had special programmes for black people, made by black people, and special programmes for Asian people, made by Asian people. And Channel 4 has since um, moved away from that idea of having a specialist unit, the diversity unit, um, overseeing making um, special programmes. It's now perceived that that isn't the right way to go about doing things. So that unit was closed and at first with the idea that everybody should make programs about people from minority ethnic groups. But what actually happened was at first there was a fall in the number of such programs because without the special unit with the ring fence money, people tended not to make the programmes. However, that is now reversed. And now on Channel 4, uh, you see a lot of programmes which represent different groups in our society. So, to represent people from minority ethnic groups, women and disabled people, you need to employ those people. So I'm going to give you some boring, but important statistics. Um, uh, we are BAME staff, now represent 19% of our workforce. And currently 15% of our leaders are BAME. Um, but the target is that this should be 20%. 11.5% of staff are disabled, as am I but um, that's a bit below the national average. 7.3% are LGBT, which is above the average. And 56% are women, which you may notice, is above the average. And the aim is that by 2023, half of the top 100 earners should be women. And 16% of staff are from working class backgrounds. And I think this is something where Broadcasters and employers have been a bit slow to realise that you've got to uh, do something to reverse middle class and upper class dominance. I think it's very important that um, workforces are monitored, that um, uh, newsrooms uh, managers should know the percentages of different groups in their Uh, in the newsroom and and including at senior level and that targets should be set not quotas but targets to make the newsroom more representative and you need to devise strategies um, in order to improve representation the UK has some very specific problems one is that um, London is so dominant in the economy And uh, too many of the jobs have been based in London, whereas you will probably know rents are very high for young people, buying is nearly impossible. And therefore, because at independent companies, so many contracts are short term, what shocked me when I came to Channel 4 was to, because I'd worked in Manchester before, where there was a much greater diversity um among the staff making programs is how many people on short-term contracts uh working at independent production companies came from very privileged backgrounds you know a lot of them had been to oxford and cambridge an incredible percentage had been to westminster school you know very specific private schools and this is because these people could afford to work on short-term contracts a lot of them also had parents who lived in London who could both support them and also they could live with them. And that wasn't an opportunity that you would have, you know, if you came from working a, a working class family in Glasgow. UK broadcasters and newspapers have failed to sufficiently reflect the changes in our society. As our country changed, with millions of women entering the workforce, migrants coming to live here from all parts of the world and gay men and women coming out to declare their rightful place in society british newsrooms remained overwhelmingly white male heterosexual and middle class for too long they are changing now but i think many are changing too slowly in some specific regards newsrooms tend to be out of touch with large groups in our population For example, while many leading journalists eschew religion, large numbers of people of faith have come to live here or have been born here and they're not represented properly in newsrooms. Indian Hindus, Pakistani Muslims, African Christians and Polish Catholics and many more. The majority of people in newsrooms are fit and healthy, uh, but a huge percentage of the population have a disability. For much of my life, people from ethnic minorities have been represented in journalism, <laughs> particularly in newspapers, as problems and too often as criminals. Not only is this wrong, it's also commercially short-sighted, as they are also consumers with money to spend buying the products in the adverts around the disgraceful journalism. So why alienate them? Even when a beautiful princess came onto the scene, viewed by many people of African heritage as a symbol of their acceptance in society, she was criticised constantly. She may have brought some of that criticism on herself, but many people from British African and African Caribbean communities perceive this as racist. And it's very interesting to me that many more columns are devoted to criticising Meghan than to criticising Prince Andrew, for his friendship with a convicted paedophile and i can recommend it to you our recent program um the prince and the paedophile so um so i would say um you know that um you should uh i you know um actually look at why um uh some terrible things appear and just um so also for too long gay men were treated as sources of disease rather than as the much-loved sons friends brothers and uncles of the vast majority of the population and just think of the madness of it to attack the very people who buy your papers and buy the products that you advertise and how many articles have I read over decades which portray working women as so unnatural that they are a danger to their own health mm. and the well-being of their husbands and children. And working women like me resent these assertions in, the, in such columns very deeply. And yet the publications which print the articles want us to buy them and buy the products that they advertise. And that doesn't really make sense. Of course, the overwhelming reason that we should represent the UK properly to itself is that that is the job of journalism, to tell the truth about society. But I stress the commercial point too. Don't alienate the people who want to buy your product or all their friends and relatives. When a newspaper has carried out some particularly egregious attack on some minority group, who wants to be the person seem to be reading it, sitting in pret a Manger. I have to read all the papers in my job. And there are days on the tube when I see people glaring at me for reading some tabloid after it's written some ghastly story. And I want to shout out, it's my job. You know, just as doctors have to treat evil people, I have to read bad journalism. Now, the BBC is funded by the licence fee, as I say, and it doesn't have the same commercial imperative. But of course, because fundamentally, the vast majority of the population pay for it. It ought to represent the vast majority of the population. And some of you may have seen last week a BBC uh, review by Ofcom of BBC News and Current Affairs. Uh, Ofcom being our regulator and some of the other coverage uh, uh, some of the other elements in this report got more coverage but I think the stuff it said about representation was interesting Uh, the regulator found that BBC is seen by some from minority ethnic groups as representing a white middle-class and London-centric point of view that is not relevant to their lives. Some described the BBC as too focused on Westminster politics and speaking to and for small sections of society. The perceived lack of diversity in BBC reporters or presenters or the lack of different viewpoints was also raised by people from minority groups. And the report said the BBC should better represent the whole of the UK People outside London thought the BBC should improve how it reflected and reported on its life. And to quote Ofcom, people from minority ethnic groups told us they want to feel their voice is represented. And last year, in fact, Ofcom sent for the B- said, for the BBC to produce authentic content which resonates with all audiences, the people who work on the programmes must represent diversity of the uk and you know in fairness i'm not saying that channel 4 is perfect and the bbc has set targets for improving the diversity of employees both on and off screen now channel 4 commissioned a very interesting piece of work this year by the organization Versity about the viewing preferences of minority ethnic groups and Some of the results, when you thought about them, were um, maybe obvious, um, but some were surprising. And I'm just—it's qualitative research um, done with sixty people, so it's not quantitative research, but it—it was done in quite some depth. And I—and I would recommend it to you. And I'll just tell you two or three things in it. They looked at the five largest ethnic groups in Britain and the UK, Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, Black Caribbean, and Black African. And they found um, that a number of these audiences were particularly drawn to programs about entrepreneurship and aspiration. And of course, some people have said, well, this makes sense because you're looking here at groups who themselves or whose fathers or grandmothers came here to better themselves you know to to you know so they've got some of that aspirational spirit um programs that people tended to say they were not interested in pets i think i agree with that one (laughs) property decorating rural life and white british history including period drama and shows about antiques Um, But, and they, and and overwhelmingly, people said that they wanted to see their own um, groups in society represented fairly and accurately. Um, But they did see that often culture was more important to them than ethnicity, and actually they said the most important thing to them, quite a number did, anyway, it's nuanced research. that actually what they were interested in personally was the thing that interested them most. And um, they liked comedy programmes about their group, so it wasn't that they didn't want to see, you know, any satire of the way that they lived. And an interesting point that I would never have thought of um, was that quite a number of viewers from an Asian background said that they watch with their families and therefore, programmes with sexual content were a real problem. And of course, anybody who's ever watched a programme um, about sex with their mother will know that it's just like one of the worst things that can ever happen to you in your life. To retain women in the workplace, you really need specific policies. Although that there are now many women working here um, in broadcasting, they often drop out when they have children um, and broadcasters and production companies really do need to think more about whether they can have more flexible policies than they've got, not just part-time work, working, but, you know, um, more generally flexible. And at Channel 4, we we are currently tria- trialing, mm-hmm. um, Uh, much more flexible working where you can just say well for me if I didn't come in on a Tuesday and I worked at home that would be really great or can I have shorter hours so people are being encouraged to think what suits them and then we work around them rather than them having to fit into something and since about a quarter of the of women say that they suffer really severe problems with the menopause and about a quarter of women uh, say it seriously makes them think about giving up work channel 4 has actually just become the first broadcaster in the uk to have a policy on the menopause and that, in fact having a policy doesn't necessarily mean it it costs you some huge sum of money because you already have a probably a policy for what you do if you're sick or if you need to work part time for a bit or flexible working so you can put all those together and and create a policy but the policy includes that men will be educated about the menopause and actually some young women and actually some older women i get very annoyed with women who say Uh, Well, when I went through the menopause, you know, like some badge they're wearing, um, I didn't have any problem. Well, that was great for you. But that doesn't mean that just that you necessarily know what it was like for another woman. Um, I think uh, there are specific problems in this country uh, for people from other groups. There tends to be... uh, A way in some production companies of employing people by word of mouth and if you are not in the charm circle you don't hear about those jobs Um, there's a lot of snobbery as well and not only do I think that on the whole you can it it doesn't matter what university that you went to you can be a really good journalist I mean I see that if you're a lawyer it's a good idea to have a law degree but I don't think we should be saying that uh, journalists need to have a degree. And uh, I think a, a lot of employers need to look at whether they're expecting people to have too many qualifications. Channel 4 also did a survey, uh, well actually LSE did it as a, as a, a proper study on um, the why some people from minority ethnic groups feel they're not flourishing in the workplace and they i i think as channel Four is to be congratulated that they published this work because quite a lot of employers do work and then never tell anybody what they found and i think that this piece of work could help people in many institutions and one example they discovered that there were sort of unwritten codes of behavior. And one was that while there was allegedly no dress code, there was a hidden dress code, which was studied effortless casual wear. And if you were a white middle-class person, you you just knew how you were meant to dress, but a number of people from other groups said they didn't know how to dress, on their first day at work they didn't know should I be wearing a suit and tie um, should I be you know just wearing jeans what can I wear and then when they came to work they discovered well what these people like it looks like they're just wearing jeans but actually that's a Paul Smith shirt and those are very expensive jeans and the other thing they found was that a number of the um, subjects or conversation were off-putting because they were about their their little you know personal cultural references and i think what's important and why i'm talking about these things is that it's not just that it's morally wrong that we don't have representative newsrooms it's that if you change who works on programs you change the programmes. When I started out on World in Action, one of ITV's main executive investigative programmes, and let's be frank, the best, um, I was the only woman. And I, I, it wasn't that people were horrible to me, but I didn't feel very comfortable. If you're the only woman in a sea of men, I can remember at the beginning, Thinking of my first day, why does this feel really odd? I've got this really odd feeling. And then I realized it was the feeling that I got when I, if you ever, as a woman, accidentally went in the gents and you went, oh, oh my God, I'm not meant to be in this place. Um, those men knew they had a hierarchy of what important stories were. Um, obviously, nuclear power, they were all against it. Uh, The CIA, I mean, I used to say to them, go on, make a programme saying the CIA ever did anything good. Uh, um, But they were, um, they didn't think that films about women, most of them didn't think films about women were that important. And uh, one of them actually used prostitutes when he went filming abroad. That was nice, wasn't it? And interestingly, when I wanted to make produce my first programme, which was about rape and marriage, he said that wasn't a story. No, there you see how uh, this is a man who thinks it's OK to use women's bodies. It's not really a surprise, is it, that he would be the one who says, rape and marriage, that's not really a story. When I worked on that programme, there were 1,000... 500 people approximately in the company and 1,494 of them were white and um, I, I mentioned that in my McTaggart, and afterwards two of those six people wrote to me and one said that she was told um, she had only got the job because she was black uh, by several people and one day when she was talking to somebody black um, our boss had said to her afterwards, don't be seen talking to other black people because it could look like you're ganging up on white people. Well, you'll notice it's quite hard for six people to gang up on 1,494 people. But more seriously, another man wrote to me and said that while we worked together, he had one day received in the internal post a photograph of a lynching and his own face had been stuck onto the man hanging from the tree and you have a two-fold program there, problem there firstly you've got too few people from these um groups but secondly it would mean that even if those that tiny group of people you have who can tell you about what life is like for um black african and african caribbean people in britain they're going to be put off giving you that information because they're going to feel well i mustn't um you know mustn't make it look like um i'm particularly taking up issues about black people and ganging up on white people um i think tv has changed a lot since then but you um still get you know really terrible um incidents and one i often think of is actually at the time of 9 11. my man i know they turned to him and said wow what's all this about and he, that was presumably because he was asian and he said well i'm a hindu mm-hmm. so his name was christian that's you know like a bit of a giveaway isn't it that you're not a muslim but also Even if he had been a Muslim, why would he know? I mean, nobody says to me, you know, a serial murdering pedophile has just been sent to prison, Dorothy. He was a Catholic. What's all that about? And I think um, just as we need to have people who are representative, we mustn't assume that um, people in a specific ethnic group understand about all bad people who ever lived who were in that group um now um as i say now um we don't have a you know a diversity a a a program diversity department and i think we are being much more successful in everybody realizing um that all programs need to be representative and sometimes we need to make some special programs about life in different minority groups Um, and uh, one of the things we now do is that any independent production company making a program for us has to state that they have people from minority groups working on that program both on screen and off screen and they have to have some justification if they don't for example for me political programs, you know, like a leader's debate, quite difficult to, you know, I've got Jeremy Corbyn, and I've got uh, Boris Johnson, you know, there uh, is not much um, uh, ethnic diversity there, is there? But on the whole, there should be. So what I would say is that if your newsroom is dominated by people with a particular mindset and background, you will also literally get the news wrong and that's what happened with brexit most newsrooms in the uk were taken surprise by surprised by the fact that there was a narrow vote in favor of leaving the eu in 2016 so why didn't journalists see that coming well in the uk as i've said far too many of our institutions are in london and that includes major broadcasters and newspapers London is so pro-Remain, so it was easy for journalists, if they just talked to people around them, to assume that everybody thought the way that they did. And I'm very pleased that Channel 4 is now moving its headquarters out to Leeds. Newsrooms were also dominated by educated liberals. And some of you will be aware that statistics showed that educated liberals from the south of England were overwhelmingly pro-Remain. And uh, if you'd lived here then, you would have seen some really terrible interviewing where some of these people went up to the north of England to interview people who were pro-Brexit and literally spoke to them, not just as if they came from another country, but as if they were Neanderthal men. You know, you're pro-Brexit? Why are you pro-Brexit? But actually, they didn't really listen properly to the answers. They didn't understand what it was that those people were feeling. I would also say that I think that um, it's a good idea for all newsrooms to have a, um, a code of conduct of some sort for your newsroom. I'm also the chair of the Ethical Journalism Network, a small charity that, encourages journalists to be ethical around the world. And we really encourage newsrooms to um, set down the standard of conduct that is expected within the newsroom, as well as in reporting and in um, uh, the, the way that they tr- we treat the people that we are reporting on. And I think that if you, have good conduct within your newsroom that will also improve your journalism i think in the era when in my lifetime there were men who regularly went around sexually assaulting women at granada tv i don't think we could expect that granada tv was going to make marvelous programs about women's rights so i do think that the two things go together Um, And I think also that some um, publications are realizing that being perceived to be moral is also commercially good. So a lot of places now are um, launching even right wing publications that maybe previously didn't believe in climate change, are launching campaigns like the Daily Mail's campaign against plastic that they want their readers to think that they are moral organizations and i noticed that the daily mail has also launched a brilliant campaign in favor of the mmr vaccine and a campaign which we should all commend which will save lives and i think that readers will feel that campaigns like that demonstrate that these organizations are a force of, for good and they will feel good um, about writing uh, about reading it. Who wants to read something that, you know, you feel makes you feel a bit dirty and bad about yourself reading it? So I, I think you all know here about the very high levels of trust people have in British television, and that's because it's regulated and is overwhelmingly trusted more than newspapers. So I won't bore you with all the statistics, because some of them come from your very own institute. But, you know, you can contrast that with what, so for advertisers to be in a good product that is well thought of is really good for the advertisers. And you'll have seen that a number of advertisers got really annoyed when they discovered the adverts that they put on YouTube had been stuck next to, you know, videos in favor of terrorism, etc., So, again, it's both the right thing to do and it's commercially the right thing to do. So, ultimately, I think that consumers and the public want products they can trust and to be offered products that are useful and relevant to their lives. And in that way, journalism is a product. And so we want them to trust us and they want to feel that When they look at us or listen to us or read us, we represent them. We are not some distant elite from far away looking down on them and patronizing them. So those are some of the challenges that I faced in my work and that the organizations I've worked in have faced. And um, I'm interested to know your views on that and any challenges you've faced. Thank you.